Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Maybe it's just that you don't know how to use social courtesy. Oh, that's old-fashioned. Watch how Lizzie Post and Dan Post Senate act as host and hostess. They know that courtesy means showing respect, thinking of the other person, real friendliness. Hello! And welcome to Awesome Etiquette. Where we explore modern etiquette through the lens of consideration, respect, and honesty. On today's show, we take on your quick etiquette questions. From where to use commas in names with suffixes to when to begin eating. These are your burning quick etiquette questions, and we're going to tackle as many of them as possible. All that plus your feedback, etiquette salute, and we're going to continue our Postscript segment with Cindy Post-Senning on the last three developmental stages of childhood and what etiquette you can expect during them. All that, plus Dan Post-Senning is back, coming up. Awesome Etiquette comes to you from the studios of Vermont Public Radio and is proud to be produced in Burlington, Vermont by the Emily Post Institute. I'm Lizzie Post. And I'm Dan Post-Senning. Oh, yes, you are, and you are back. And I am a new dad. You are a new dad. Can I just say, you knew that Dan had changed when the emails for work emails started coming in with, much love, XXOX Dan. <laughs> it's just like, his heart is a million times bigger. I was listening to the shows that you did while I was out on my paternity leave. Totally. And um, I thought you did a phenomenal job. I just have to start off by saying that. Well, my aunt, your mother, our uncle, like, we got good family to fill in. I'm proud of them. You know, <laughs> it, it made me feel like I was home hearing these very familiar voices. Voices and, and totally. I felt well cared for in my work environment with the family coming <laughs> together. It was so nice. Uh, it also made me think about our original vision for this show yeah. when we used to sit around and talk about how we wished we could take the conversations that happen at oh. the Emily Post Institute and just share them. That, that that was the part of the work that we enjoyed the most. Yeah. And as is often the case, these sort of moments of challenge oftentimes push you into new territory. Totally. And I think this pushed us into some good new territory. And I want to keep it up. I want to keep bringing more voices onto this show. I thought it was excellent. So well, Thank you. And we're going to get the chance to do that because your mom is going to be back in our postscript segment to talk about the later three stages of childhood development that then, you know, how etiquette works within them. Wow, I'm having marbles in the mouth today. I know. It's kind of exciting. Sorry, I'm like, dance back, dance back, dance back. Of course, I've been thinking about this a lot. In fact, I'm still in a bit of a sleep daze. I've I was got that say, newborn baby three hour sleep cycle thing happening. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Last night I was I was in a dream state. I was dreaming I was at the microphone and the studio had all of the characters that are assembled here now and we were singing Stand By Me. <laughs> Just really? so you know. <laughs> we were singing Stand By Me. Okay, we will have a couch session later to analyze that one. No, I'm just kidding. Um, I was thinking about you and thinking about a lot of our listeners that have written in about this early baby stage. And mm-hmm. even a question Uncle Bill had answered about, you know, new couple with a new baby born early, but their dog's pooping on the lawn. And I'm like, Dan's dealing with all this new baby world and territory. Like, what's what's your perspective now that you've lived through it? They say becoming a new parent changes your perspective on everything. And it's really true. It's a cliche yeah. because we say it all the time, but 
sometimes we say things all the time because they're true. (laughs) And just because it's a cliche doesn't mean it isn't true. And as I was thinking about what I wanted to share in this moment, returning to the show, I was thinking to myself that it both feels like I've barely taken a breath since I was here last, like like time has passed in the blink of an eye. And it also feels like a million years ago. It feels like it was an entirely different person. Entirely different life. That was sitting at this mic the last time we were doing this. And it, it does. It informs just about everything that's going on in your own mind. And that's a special thing. It's really remarkable. And I, I hope to share just a little bit of that with everybody <laughs> out there. And we, we heard about that from our audience. We heard from all of you how excited you were for me. And (laughs) I really appreciated hearing that. And I understand it even more now. I've had such incredible support through all of this. And I appreciate that. I also have to say that I appreciate my wife more than I ever have. (laughs) Pooja is amazing. (laughs) Um, And she's an amazing mom. And watching her emerge in that role is so incredible. And watching her mother come to support her and pass down generational knowledge to her and play that role of of joining the the parade back to the beginning of of time and and hopefully into the future as well. It's a fascinating thing, but whether you adopt, whether you go through surrogacy, whether you have a baby naturally, any way that you become a parent in this world, I feel like all of a sudden there's this huge perspective shift and there's this huge love and joy that comes in that I know you and I were talking about. You didn't even know you had the capacity for love this big. And I think if you are doing parenting with a partner, that the the amazement in watching your partner be a parent is really just a beautiful thing. And I love that your first thought is, I love my wife so much. (laughs) Like, I'm so impressed. I guarantee she's thinking the same things about you. (laughs) And of course, I love my new daughter so much. Anisha is the name that we ended up choosing. And it was a, a process that many of you all participated in. I so appreciated it. We hung on till the last minute. We wanted the name to emerge and to really appear along with her. We wanted to let it be something that happened organically. And it really did. It happened over the first couple days of her life. And yeah. it was a process that happened with family. Lizzie was there during a big part of the discussion. <laughs> um, Pooja's parents played a big role in, in the naming of their granddaughter also, which was really exciting for me to have the whole family involved. And she played a role. She was there and we were responding to her and, and she was reflecting back to us that love and listening to that show. And hearing you talk about seeing me sign the email, much love. Oh, yeah, totally. It really brought a smile to my face. And I thought to myself. I'm so glad that's what happened. Well, and here's the etiquette point. I thought to myself how nice it is to have lived in a place of enough reserve. Yes. (laughs) That when an expression of love happens, it's noted that it's not. um, And it's embraced. Yeah. Both that it's embraced and that there's the range of emotion expression that's available because you've got a, a place where you've maybe been a little more formal, a little more buttoned <laughs> down at some point, like, even though it's oftentimes with family and totally. family that can appreciate something like a, an expression of love. <laughs> awesome. Well, I know that our audience is greatly going to appreciate your new perspective, especially as we get to some questions. And today... I have thrown together a very easy show for you. We often Ah. get, I know, right? (laughs) We often get so many questions from you that have very simple, quick, definitive answers. And we don't always use those questions right as they come in because... A lot of the time we're seeking questions that give us back and forth and dialogue and gray area and things like that. But we love these questions. You want these questions answered. So we save them up and we run through like 15 short questions (laughs) for a show. So today is one of our short question shows where we are going hardcore on etiquette. 
And we are so excited to give you the answers you've been waiting for. I love the script when I saw it. And I would tell people <laughs> this is definitely a show to bookmark because we will also cover some very standard points of etiquette, questions where we think there is an answer. Should we get to those questions? Let's do it. On every episode of Awesome Etiquette, we take your questions on how to behave. And if you have a question for us, you can email it to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. Leave us a voicemail at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. Or hit us up on Twitter and Facebook. Just use the hashtag Awesome Etiquette so we know you want your question on the show. Our first question today has to do with commas around suffixes. Picture that in your head. When addressing invitations, do you include a comma after the name and before a suffix? For example, name comma junior or name comma the third or name comma senior? Thank you for your help, Melissa. Melissa, again, a really easy answer for you. Yes, when writing out an invitation to someone who uses a suffix like junior or senior or the third, you use a comma after the person's name, but before the suffix. If Dan were a junior, he would be on a printed or handwritten invitation. Daniel Post Senning, comma, J-R, period. Daniel Post Senning, junior. Love it. Yeah. Little bonus. The full name is Anisha Rickley Senning. My... (laughs) Full given name on my birth certificate, Daniel Rickley Senning. She's not a junior. Every name has <laughs> to match yeah. in order for someone to be a junior. We sometimes get the question, I have the same first name and last name as a parent. Does that make me a junior? No, it has to be all, all the names. Awesome. Melissa, we hope that helps as you are addressing invitations. Our next question has to do with showers and wedding gifts. If you're invited to a bridal shower four hours away that you can't attend, is it required to send a gift or can you wait until the wedding itself, which is three months away, to give a gift? So the wedding and the shower are two separate events and you want to treat the gifts for each as separate gifts. So I wouldn't necessarily combine them. I wouldn't bring the shower gift to the wedding. If you felt so inclined, you could definitely mail a shower gift. But it's also an invitation to a shower isn't quite like an invitation to a wedding where the expectation of a gift is so strong that if you don't attend, you also really want to think about sending that gift. So you have an option if you decline the shower invitation to send a gift or not. When it comes to the wedding, that's a separate gift and you should do the wedding gift itself whether you go or not. We really hope that clarifies gifts and showers and weddings. Our next question begins formal or familiar. Hello. Is it okay to address an envelope to a friend, a thinking of you card, with first and last names, or should I use Mr. and Mrs.? Awaiting your reply. Thank you, Linda. Linda, the real answer here is how well do you know your friend? If she's formal, you can go with the Mr. and Mrs. Possibilities abound in this category, though, because technically she could be, Dan, I'm totally using your name and Pooja's name for this example, your friend could be either Mrs. Daniel Senning, Mrs. Pooja Senning, or Ms. MS period, Pooja Senning. So it takes a little bit to know what your friend prefers. However, if you know that she is a casual person, like I would assume my friends would write to me this way, then you're probably safe with first and last names. For instance, Dan and Pooja Senning or Dan Senning and if Pooja had kept her last name, Pooja Gupta. So it kind of depends on your friend and what she's chosen to do with her last name and then what she prefers. Now, my best advice to you is to just call her up and ask. And that might sound a little silly, like, oh, no, but I want to surprise her with this note. But it's not. You can say, I could call up Pooja and I could say, Pooja, I'm sending you a little note. And I realized I never asked how you prefer your name when 
receiving mail? Do you like to be Mrs. Senning or do you prefer to be Ms. Senning? What do you prefer your name to be listed at when you're addressed in mailing? And that's the easiest way to go. I will say that around the U.S., the custom today is to defer to Ms. if you are unsure about what a woman prefers. And that is just kind of the happy medium that we have settled on. It doesn't mean that it is more right than Mrs. It doesn't mean it's less right. It's just what Americans have chosen to default to. And for the rest of the name, you can be a little bit of a detective. What are you used to calling this person? And what are you used to hearing people call this person? I love the focus on what the person who's receiving the note in this case wants. I also like the idea of you can play around with it a little bit, that that sometimes it's fun to introduce a little formality to a situation. Maybe you want to play with that. (laughs) It's somebody who isn't used to being referred to with a title. It's fun when you get that super formal special. I kind of feel like, oh, look at that. That's that's a little different in my mailbox today. Aren't I a mister today? Yes. That being said, some people don't always appreciate that formal nod. And therefore, I do think asking your friend is probably the best course of action. Linda, we hope that this answer helps clarify, and we are sure your friends appreciate these lovely thinking of you cards that you send. Bravo. Our next short question could end up a long question, but we're going to keep it short (laughs) because it's about engagement gifts. Are we supposed to send a gift if someone gets engaged? Princess. Oh, princess, this actually varies regionally, but typically the answer is no. In the South, it is more common if you're invited to an engagement party to automatically bring a gift. You may always send a gift to the couple's home. That is a really safe way to go if you would like to send an engagement gift, but you're not sure if at the party they'll be receiving gifts. Mm -hmm. I always like that because a gift shows up at home. And remember, an engagement gift can be something little, something sweet. It doesn't have to be a big, expensive gift. But I would also say that one of your other options, you know what I'm always in favor of doing, is call the host and ask. Hey, I was just calling. I know in some places engagement gifts are a thing and in other places less. So were you planning on having gifts be a part of this party? I just want to know so that I don't show up empty handed or show up with something and make other guests feel bad. Very simple solution to a sometimes complicated question. Princess, we really hope that helps. Our next question is titled, Gifts for Announcements? Question mark. I received a wedding announcement from a friend announcing that she got married on August 29th. Should I get them a gift? Deborah. Deborah, no gift is necessary in reply to a wedding announcement. It doesn't mean that you can't send a gift. If you're inspired by hearing that someone is recently married and you really want to share your enthusiasm and your excitement, but the wedding announcement is not like an invitation to a wedding. And sometimes people get their etiquette signals crossed. It can be tempting because it is so exciting to think, boy, I really should send a gift in response to this announcement. But it's not a a traditional expectation. In fact, oftentimes those announcements are sent far and wide and people really want to be able to share the news without burdening people with that expectation. So don't feel bad if you don't reply to a wedding announcement with a gift. You can always send a card. And this is true for any announcement. If it's a baby announcement, if it's a graduation announcement, if it's a job or a retirement announcement, no gift is required. So we hope that clarifies and lots more cards get sent. Awesome etiquette gets support from StoryWorth. There are some stories about your mom's life that you truly never get tired of hearing. From hilarious to heartfelt, tear-jerking to plot-twisting, mom's retelling of the events always brings a bit of joy. Just in time for Mother's Day, we here at Awesome Etiquette found the perfect gift that can capture all of your mom's stories for your family forever. 
It's called StoryWorth. StoryWorth helps you preserve precious memories and stories from your mom or a mother figure in your life for years to come. Here's how it works. Each week, StoryWorth emails your loved one a thought-provoking question that you get to help pick. What was your first job? Who was your first crush? <laughs> StoryWorth makes the writing process a breeze. All your loved one needs to do is to respond to the email prompt with a story. Long or short, it doesn't matter. I did this with my mom and it was really, really rewarding. You'll be emailed a copy of your loved one's responses as they're submitted over the course of the year. You'll get to enjoy their retelling of the stories, some you probably already know, or maybe the ones that you're surprised by you haven't heard before. <laughs> After that year of fun discovery and reminiscing, StoryWorth compiles your loved one's stories and photos into a beautiful keepsake hardcover book that you'll be able to share and revisit for generations to come. You can even keep a copy of the book for yourself. Give all the moms in your life a unique, heartfelt gift that you all will cherish for years. StoryWorth. Right now, save $10 on your first purchase when you go to storyworth.com manners. That's storyworth, S-T-O-R-Y-W-O-R-T-H dot com slash manners. It's manners with an S to save $10 on your first purchase. And now back to our show. Our next question is another question that can get long, but we're going to try to keep our answers short on hosting showers. Who should host a baby shower? Susan wants to know. Susan, any friend or family of the parent or parents may host a shower. It used to be that immediate family did not throw a shower. And I know some of our audience hates this phrase, but the reasoning was that it looked like a grab for gifts. It looked like you were trying to get gifts for your own child or your sister. And nowadays, we just don't think of things quite that way. So the rule has changed, and it is absolutely appropriate for anyone close to one of the parents or both parents to throw a shower. This is one of those situations where a traditional etiquette has changed and evolved and it's evolved because of the situation that, that we live in these days. It used to be that people tended to grow up and get married in the same town that they were raised yes. in and there were close friends around who could play that role that immediate family often wants to play of really supporting and caring for someone. Today, someone might live in a city that's a hundred or many hundreds of miles away from where they were raised and they don't have that same immediate close friend network that can host the shower and if family want to step in and play that role, it's important for that shower to still be a possibility in people's lives. And that's entirely appropriate for them to do so. Oftentimes what Dan's talking about, the way it'll go down is that a mom or a sister will come and visit the pregnant mom or couple or, or, or father, as single dads sometimes would like to start a family on their own. And they'll come into the town and then host the shower. Because sometimes when you're in that new city or that space where you don't have a really close network, it can feel like a burden for someone who's not quite as intimately close with you to host a shower like that. And so it's kind of nice when a sister or a mother or a brother or somebody comes in and says, Give me a list of your friends and let's host you this shower and get you set up in your new world. And I think that it's really nice that in our kind of modern etiquette era, we've allowed for ways for, for everyone to feel supported. And similarly, I've seen people return home for a shower event. And, and yes. that can also be a, a really nice way for it to happen and to facilitate that showering of gifts that close friends and family want to participate in. Absolutely. So, Susan, I hope there are lots of very fun baby showers in your future. 
and we'll avoid talking about the Jack and Jill shower until a longer question show. <laughs> Our next question begins, house guest gifts. Arguing with my husband, we will be visiting a friend or associate this weekend and we'll be spending the night at their home. I say we need to bring a gift he does not want to. Am I wrong? Patty. Patty, you're right. A gift is customary when you are someone's house guest. But I will say that your husband is also a little bit right because you don't actually have to bring that gift to the house the night that you're staying. I personally think that for a one night overnight, it's easier if you do. I always think bringing the gift with you makes it really simple. You give that gift. It's very clear. It's happened. It's good. It's not like your host is expecting it. But boy, it is a really nice thing as a host when someone does do it. But I'll say that you don't have to. You and your husband might choose to take this couple out to dinner or maybe cook them a dinner in their own home if that's preferable. You might take them to a show or an outing of some sort while you visit. You might also send a gift afterwards with a thank you note. I would advise, cousin tell me if I'm wrong, but I would advise making sure that happens within the week after you visited, like two-week extension maybe. But if if the gift shows up like a month later, it's still really nice, but you've kind of missed this sweet spot of exchange of generosity and gratitude and I feel like you don't want to delay that too too long do you think? Uh, no I agree and partially because you don't want to leave them in that place of if they are wondering about um, the, the the absence of the signal indicating something about the hospitality oh or gosh, just didn't even think of that. The, the, the potential for them to wonder <laughs> about whether or not it's going to happen starts to open up and yeah. you want to save that possibility from ever emerging. I learned something new. What did you learn? I love the way you're thinking about a short visit coming with something in hand. It makes such perfect sense because oftentimes people think, oh, I will take them out or I'll do something nice for them or I'll pick up the tab for it. And that's a great way as a guest to play the role of a guest well and to do something nice for your host, but you might not have that opportunity. I was going to say, sometimes it doesn't emerge. Really clever. I like that (laughs) idea and I like that distinction. That's a little twist I'm going to add to my short answers in the future. Thank you, Patty. I love it when I learn something new on the show, too. Sure, there's a lot to learn, but it's worth it. And learning is easy. One way is by watching others. Our next question begins, and it's one of my favorites, Fork or Fingers? Is it proper to eat chicken with bones, pork chops, or lamb chops, and bacon with our fingers? I almost can't answer this because I eat with my fingers all the time. Dan, you take us away on this one. I feel like you're more appropriate. So clearly there is a great debate here. (laughs) No, 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 no debate. I'm just in the wrong. I often eat alone, and so nobody sees me. (laughs) Keep going. Because this is an etiquette (laughs) podcast, we are going to defer to the more formal standard. And we're going to say that if you are sitting at a place setting where there are utensils, and there are utensils presented for the course that you're eating, you're going to use those utensils to eat that food. And the story that I often tell is one from my mother, and we did a special dinner for my father's 70th birthday a couple years ago. And we ended up at a a restaurant that we had to travel to visit and having a what I would consider a nice meal this together was a special as a family. Dinner out. And there was a special rack of lamb that night and a couple of people had it. And when that lamb comes, it looks like a meat lollipop. It's got that perfect bone that's been exposed and you just want to pick it up and get that last most tasty, delicious morsel. But we say, you know, in those really formal situations, you want to be careful. You don't want to pick things up with your fingers. And My mother was playing her role of host very well that night and offered the dispensation, said something along the lines of it would be a shame to let that last bite go unused. Please don't be shy. And 
I didn't feel terrible even being in this nice <laughs> restaurant doing it because it was such a perfect opportunity. I had the dispensation from the host. But even among family, I wouldn't have necessarily gone into that plate of food with my fingers without that offer from the host at that meal. Ironically, this shows the difference between our two immediate families within <laughs> our larger family because my father would be like, there's no question. There are bones on the table. You pick it up and you eat it with your fingers. However, he really would, in, and he would do it at a restaurant setting, even if it's formal, with his family around. But he wouldn't do it at a business meal. Mm-hmm. He wouldn't do it if he was with guests with whom he was unsure whether they would find it appropriate or not. And he would probably do exactly what your mother did, which would be to take the lead as long as he was in a position to do so and say, You know what? I say we go for it and get those last little nibbles off the bone. Having held the line on the formal standard, having said use your utensils if they're there to be used unless you get a particular exemption from your host. Give me what I'm looking for. If they bring the bib out and tie it around your neck (laughs) or you're eating fried chicken south of the Mason-Dixon line and everyone there is picking up the food with their fingers. If it's part of the cuisine that you're eating it. If you're eating with my in-laws who like to say food tastes better when you eat it with your hands and you've got that roti and you're able to really get into your sabji (laughs) and the sauces. By all means, enjoy. Eat with your fingers. There is a time and a place for everything. Yes. So the one thing I did want to point out here is yeah. that three of our examples here were things with bones to pick up and one was bacon. <laughs> oh, 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 good point. Good the point, the good other point. thing that I would say here is keep it neat. No matter who you're eating with, no matter what the situation, if you're talking about greasy bacon, if you're talking about something that's wet and is going to make a mess, maybe save the people you're with the potentially disgusting thing <laughs> of having greasy fingers and just really getting all in your food in a way that isn't going to feel good for anybody to watch if you're not set up with wet naps and things to to clean up after yourself. However, I will say, if you have particularly crisp bacon on your plate, it's going to be really hard to eat it with a fork unless you have some egg or some something else to pile it on with and make that perfect bite Dan always talks about. So play it by ear, but as Dan said, your main objective is not to gross out the other people at the table. So if you think you're going to do that, always defer to using those utensils that we love so much. So I don't know exactly how Fork or Fingers made it into the short question show because this is an epic question, but we're going to have to wrap it up now. We really hope that helps. This is a great debate and it shall continue. Our next question is also about the table and eating, and it is when may I begin? Which is both the title of the question and the question itself. (laughs) End of question. When may I begin eating? The first and most obvious answer is you begin eating when your host invites that you do, suggests that you do, or begins themselves. Nice. Well, let's um, – I will mention just that at the post house, the rule is always begin as soon as you are served because your hot food should be eaten and enjoyed hot and your cold food should be eaten and enjoyed cold. So we'll jump into the middle ground territory. Yeah. When you're in a situation where it's maybe not plated service, where everybody's not being served each course simultaneously. Like or a large banquet or something like eating with a small like group. That? Exactly. Maybe it's a buffet situation okay. or a large banquet. Conference or something and you and your team are all supposed to go to a table but – but everyone's at a buffet. There is oftentimes a sort of informal guide that says once three people have been served, you can begin eating. And I, I like this idea of once you have company, yes. that you don't want to be the one who's just sitting there wolfing the food down before anyone else is even served. Once you wait till a couple people have joined you, now the meal is a social experience. It's not practical to wait for the entire room of 20 to 250 people to join you. By all means, begin and enjoy. 
And if you like waiting for everyone to be seated and ready to begin, by all means, let yourself do that. And if someone questions you, you may just say, I'm just going to wait for everyone to sit down. But please go ahead. You know, our host obviously said to start. Totally fine. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Our next question bookends this question, and it's when you're finished eating... What do you do with the napkin and the silverware? Well, it's relatively simple. The napkin is placed loosely to the left of your place setting whenever you stand up or leave the table. But the silverware, you can indicate to your server or your host that you finished eating by taking the handles, placing them together, and pointing them to the bottom right-hand quadrant of your plate. So while you're eating, you set your knife and fork down with the handles pointing away from each other. And when you're done, you move those handles together into that bottom right-hand corner of the plate, and you're going to be in good shape. So if your plate was like a clock, you would have both handles resting straight on top of the number four about. That's a great way to think of it. I like it. And the only way to have good table manners when you want them is to practice them regularly at home. Our next question begins, may I ask? Hello. Is it rude for a man to ask a woman in public if she's married? Thank you. I will say it is not rude, but like asking about age or weight or other personal things, it's a delicate question. And some people might wonder why you're asking it, why you care about their marital status or single status. I will say that most people, when they ask it, it's a very innocent question. It's a reference point. It's people kind of have this this way of trying to figure out who the person they're talking to is and what their life is built like. Do they have a partner? Do they run their own business? Do they work for some other company? There are lots of things that make this not a terribly personal question. And yet for a lot of people, it is considered a very personal question. So I say it's not horribly rude, but I really wouldn't ask unless I really needed to know. I think that's a great way to think of it. This definitely gets into tier three conversation territory where you're going to be talking about someone's family. And that is very personal information. There's not a blanket prescription against it. It's not necessarily rude to ask the question, but you want to be careful with time and place. Our next question is titled Condolence Notes. Instead of printed cards, for instance, sympathy cards, I've always written notes on nice plain note cards. Is it now preferable to purchase a sympathy card? Thank you for your timely reply, Anne. Anne, a very thoughtful note shows through no matter what style the stationery. I would probably avoid index cards or random lined paper unless that is a signature style of yours. Some people have kind of cultivated a like the, I think of the folks who give uh, they wrap their gifts in newspaper always or the mm-hmm. comic section or something like that. That's like a style and a thing. And so that might be your style and your thing. But if it's not, I say there is no need to purchase store bought, pre-printed, pre 
worded sympathy cards. I think your own words always show through wonderfully. However, if you aren't so much of a poet or expressing these things is difficult, that's when a pre-printed, pre-written card is a nice way to go. This is one of the reasons I really like a very simple set of stationery that you can use for multiple purposes. It can be really nice to have stationery that you can use for... Notes of all different kinds. Yeah. Now, the one caution here is I wouldn't necessarily do the flip. There are pieces of stationery and notes that are meant to be sympathy cards and notes yes. that you wouldn't want to use for other purposes. In fact, the one of the only pieces of advice I give people when it comes to choosing personal stationery is to avoid stationery with a black border because oftentimes oh. that is intended to be used for sympathy cards. And nowadays it might look very stylish, but at the same time it sends kind of the wrong message in a little exactly. bit of a way. It'll be interesting to see if that's one that changes over time. You never know. Our next question is titled, what about your welcome? Hello. I work in retail and my customers will often end our interactions by saying thank you. Is it improper for me to respond with thank you or is the correct response simply to say you're welcome? Could you're welcome come first as in you're welcome, thank you, or should I drop the thank you altogether? Drew S. from Pennsylvania. Drew, I love this question because I worked retail for years. Don't forget your welcome. I think it's great that you're using it. My pleasure also works very, very well. I think that when someone says thank you in a retail situation, the customer says thank you to the sales clerk, that it's best for the sales clerk to then say, you're welcome and thank you as well. Or it was my pleasure and thank you for coming in today. These are wonderful exchanges that show that you appreciate the customer also, you're willing to receive thanks. Do not kind of extinguish someone else's thank you by automatically serving up your own thank you. Receive the thank you and then give back your own. Absolutely. It can feel so good to offer thanks, to, to express gratitude, and you play a really important role for someone when you receive that gratitude. There needs to be a recipient who who acknowledges it to really allow that full experience to work for both parties. Now, I also like the way you're really thinking about how powerful a thank you is in a customer service environment. Mm -hmm. We have seen studies. We have heard again and again and again how effective thanking customers is for generating relationships and bringing back repeat business. So if it's your parting moment, I think that it's entirely appropriate. Like Cousin Lizzie says, you're most welcome and thank you for coming in. If the situation that you were in were one where it wasn't the end of the interaction, you might just receive that thank you and wait till a moment later on to offer the thanks of your own. Because this question's about the end of that customer service interaction, I think it's entirely appropriate to offer that thanks in response once you've said you're welcome. Well, in terms of thanks, how about thank you for your questions? And please send us updates, comments, and salutes to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. You can leave us a message at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. Or hit us up on Twitter and Facebook. Just use the hashtag awesomeetiquette so we know you want your question on the show. Now it's time to hear some of your feedback. Our first piece of feedback this week comes from Bailey, who wrote in about a postscript from a recent episode where we delved into Margaret Visser's book, The Rituals of Dinner. Dear Lizzie and Daniel, I just wanted to send an email to thank you for the wonderful postscript from your latest podcast. I had sent a suggestion similar to that in an email to you. Not sure of the number of correspondence you received, so if you didn't read my email, the coincidence was thoroughly enjoyed. <laughs> so I'm a bit biased on the topic matter, but I found it insightful and a reminder that good manners and etiquette are a choice and not a rite of passage. 
The name Margaret Visser was new to me, but after hearing what she had to say on the ritual of table manners, I immediately searched her online to see what other information I might gather from her. It is always wonderful to be able to delve into the study of etiquette even more. The introduction was most appreciated. Thank you for your wonderful podcast, and Daniel, best wishes for the upcoming birth of your first child. Sincerely, Bailey. Bailey, nice. thank you so much. Um, I really do appreciate it. And like you... We so appreciate Margaret oh, Visser. She she really is a, a a wealth of knowledge and a joy to read. She can turn a phrase. And on my very short list is her relatively new book on the importance of thank you, which I will confess I have not tackled yet, but um, I'm really eager to to take a look at. Stephanie had a response that I think many of you out there will love. She wanted to write in after hearing our advice in episode 122 to a listener who is managing parents during her labor. Dan, you can confirm how this sounds. Hi, Lizzie and Dan. As a healthcare professional, I wanted to respond to the listener in episode 122 who was concerned about her family in the room just after the birth of her child. Your nurse can be a great resource for you to get help with some aspects of this. You can tell your nurse or put it in your birth plan that you'd like for certain people to be or not be in the room or that you would like help with getting visitors out after a certain amount of time or that you don't want visitors until you say it's okay. We can't keep them from sitting in public waiting rooms, but we can certainly keep them out of your room. I've had patients tell me early in the day, my sister is coming by later, but I don't want her here for more than an hour. Can you help with that? And after an hour, we always seem to find an excuse to shuffle them out of the room. We've also held visitors before or after a certain time or until a patient is finished with a certain procedure. Being in the hospital, even for something exciting like a birth, is an exhausting experience. When I'm taking care of you, my job is to be your advocate. Sometimes that's to a doctor. Sometimes that's to a well-meaning relative, and sometimes that's even to the patient themselves. Even more than pass medications or check blood pressures, that is what we do all day. Please do not hesitate to ask your nurses for help in advocating for yourself. Thanks for the great show, Stephanie. And Stephanie, thank you for your incredible feedback. It landed at a moment of great receptivity here at the podcast. <laughs> I, bet. I am um, in a moment uh, of absolute awe at <laughs> nurses, nurses <laughs> and hospital staff more in broadly, general. but very particularly nurses. Um, yeah. We were so well taken care of, and the nursing profession has made a, a strong impact on my life recently. Thank you for reminding us of the, the important role that nurses can play in, in these types of situations in all kinds of different ways. I also also really keyed on something else you put in your answer, which is that to put it in your birth plan. It's such yes. great advice. And anytime you can think ahead about what you want before the intensity of the experience or you find yourself in a really new circumstance or situation, we found the, the nurses at the hospital really receptive to honoring that birth plan. And it was a really important part of having an experience that, that worked well for us. That idea of preparation and thinking about how you want to manage visitors was something that came up in the question that you're responding to and well, was and it, also really important and is, is, is a great thing to be doing. I think what was really nice, too, is that Stephanie leaves room for that to change. Mm -hmm. That if you put in your birth plan that you want your mom there and then all of a sudden it turns out like it feels like too much, too many people, that it's OK for that to change. And I think knowing that your nurses are there to advocate is just such a, a wonderful reassurance. So, Stephanie, thank you so much for sharing that with us. 
We also heard from Werner, who wrote in about episode 121 and wanted to chime in on the trend of not texting during the holidays. Yes, I'm glad this really is a trend and not just in my life. Your last episode, 121, was really touching. It felt almost like a goodbye, but with the huge advantage of actually being just a transition. I wish you all the best for your new circumstances and that everything goes as smoothly as can be hoped. By the way, since I'm one of the probably many of your listeners that are mainly using Spotify, it would be great if you could set up a new channel there as well. <laughs> for now, I installed Stitcher on my phone. We, we are noted, working noted, on it. Noted, noted. I am back from my leave, and we will be adding ourselves to even more networks in the coming weeks. <laughs> In regards to your recent question to your listeners about texting, maybe you're on to something. I can absolutely confirm your suspicion that people seem to slowly switch from excessive texting to -to face-to-face conversations, or at least phone calls. I've had several friends who used to use emails and texts as their favorite and sometimes almost sole means of communication, who not too long ago started calling or suggested to meet up in person again. I didn't consider this to be a broad phenomenon up until now, even outside Europe as it seems. Maybe it has to do with the overall amount of written email conversation one has to handle in most workplaces nowadays. Or maybe we just grew out of that, formerly new possibility of mailing and texting whenever you are with your phone or tablet. I am looking forward to hearing what some of the other listeners think. And if you have a question about what is usual behavior in Germany, please let me know. I am glad to give something back to you for all of those entertaining and enlightening hours of listening to your voices. Thank you for being the way you are and doing what you do in a way that I can't imagine anyone could do any better. Best regards from a small town near Munich. Yours sincerely, Werner. Werner, thank you so much for that feedback. A, I love it because I love this topic. But I also really want to say thank you for offering to let us know about German customs and German etiquette. I would invite any of our international audience to please send us tidbits, send us things. I loved it when our listeners have shared the different etiquette and manner norms in their countries. And it's been exciting to read that. And we would love to put together some postscript segments about that. So please send Send us your etiquette from around the world. Thank you for sending your thoughts and updates. Please keep them coming. You can send your comment or update to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com or leave us a message at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. I am really excited because your mother, my Aunt Cindy, is back with us today after co-hosting with me last week to continue our postscript segment on the developmental stages of childhood and how you can teach etiquette during them. I was so excited that you didn't get through all of the stages last week because that means I get to be here for the conclusion of this postscript. And I get to be in studio with my mother, who I thought did an incredible job last week, filling in and sharing the news of the birth of Anisha with our audience. So thank you for both filling in and for coming back one more time. Well, it was definitely my pleasure. And thanks to both of you for inviting me. I, I really enjoyed it. So, And I'm really looking forward to just spending a few minutes with you all today. Excellent. And for anybody out there that didn't catch last week's episode, definitely do whatever you need to do to go back one show in your playlist or your phone and take a listen to the postscript because we introduced the whole concept of teaching etiquette that's appropriate at different developmental stages in life. And Cindy outlines a little bit where the concept of these developmental stages came from and the the work that went into identifying them. So last week, to summarize, you talked about... So last week, we started with the first three stages, birth to one year, which is waking to the world, one to three years, we call learning the basics, and three to five years, the age of discovery. 
This week, I'm going to move ahead and pick up with stage four, which we like to call the socialization years. This covers kids who are age six through 10, I would say. And it's an important time in their lives. They're building friendships. They're doing group work at school. They're joining teams. They're going to parties without their parents. They're really moving out and on their own a little bit. And as you watch these various stages, you're going to see that happening more and more specific manners that parents can do to help their kids through this time period. I would start with the one we consider so important. Kids this age, even a six-year-old, should be able to write his or her own thank you note. You do not need to be writing them for them. They're all learning some form of inventive spelling, and you can be encouraging that, even requiring it in your home. Some parents actually won't let their kids play with something or wear something until they've written the thank you note sportsmanship, oh my gosh, there is nothing like a seven or eight-year-old who has decided that their favorite, favorite team might just be the New England Patriots. (laughs) That would be the best, wouldn't it, Dan? (laughs) I I was thinking we might actually get through the show without mentioning the most incredible Super Bowl of all time. Sorry, everyone. No way. But let me tell you, there are a lot of six through 10-year-olds who were pretty psyched about that game. And it was a great game for parents to watch with their kids. Sports are very important to kids in this age group. And it's a perfect time for you as parents to be working with your kids on different sportsmanship issues, both on the field and off the field. Very important. We are in a competitive society, and I want to be sure that you understand this is more than just about sports. It's also when you have a friend who's doing their first piano recital, or it's when you're in a science fair and you're competing your project against somebody else's. Sportsmanship runs the gamut. It's very important. The final one that I want to just impress upon you for this age group is that kids are in school all day long, many, many, many days of the year. And I want to be sure kids know that their respect should not be shown just to their teacher, who's the person who can give them a good grade, but also to the the janitor or the school nurse or the people in the office. Kids need to learn respect for all the different adults they encounter in their lives. I really like this stage. This is the the beginning of someone's own social life. And we often get the question of, well, when is it reasonable to start expecting my son or daughter to write a thank you note? And it's also nice. And I know these ages aren't rock solid markers. It's nice to have some idea of when is a reasonable time to start having some of those appropriate social expectations of a child. Exactly. So let's move on to stage five, shall we? I call stage five the bumpy years. Stage five are your 11 to 14-year-olds. Middle school, kind of later middle school, this is a hard age. It's a difficult time. What's going on for kids developmentally is kind of crazy. And I think it's all a matter of control. And I'm going to spend a minute just saying something about this issue of control. Their whole lives are out of control. Physically, they're growing. They're putting on weight. They're losing weight. They're getting pimples on their face. Their hair's getting oily. They can't really control any of that. Their cognitive development is out of control. They're moving from being concrete thinkers to abstract thinkers. Sometimes they see something very concretely. They can see the abstract form of whatever it is the communication is. Fascinating. Very hard. And they can't always control when they can do which of those two things. And social development, oh, some days the girls think boys are the greatest thing in the world. And other days they just would not want 
want a thing to do with the boys and vice versa. Boys about girls, da-da-da, that kind of a thing. So socially, physically, and cognitively, they are going through all kinds of changes over which they have no control. Your job as a parent is to help them find some control in their lives. That's the most helpful thing or one of the most helpful things you can do for your kids at this age. And some of the manners that you teach and work with them give them some control in their lives. So that's the approach I would suggest you use. First off, communication. I think that we're talking mobile phones here. You start getting your first cell phones. What I recommend that you do is you sit down and create some family rules about use of cell phones in the home and out of the home, both amount of time that's spent on the cell phones and who you're calling, when you're calling, where you're doing messages. I could go on for hours, and I won't. I just recommend that you sit down with your children and you talk about the issues involved with mobile phone communication and also the social networking that's coming into their lives at this age. I really won't go any farther with it other than that. Secondly, I think that parents need to know what their kids are doing and where they're going to be. I think you need to have more discussions about some time frames. And again, do that with your kids so you set up what's going on in their lives, where they're going to be meeting you, where they're going to be, who they're going to be seeing. You just want to be working through some of these little bit more advanced social kinds of interactions that become an important part of their lives. You could do some table manners, setting the table, how do I eat it, foods that are difficult to eat. Give them some control. How do you get that spaghetti into your mouth without getting it all over your face? Little things like that. Do you pick up fried chicken or not? A variety of things like that. I think that gives your kids some control and they can anticipate what they might be doing as they go out and beyond the home. One of the things I really love about good etiquette, good manners, is it gives you a a set of tools to use to navigate all kinds of situations. And it's not that these are tools that are childish or for little children. These are tools that are really powerful tools for adults. And I think they can be so helpful as people are making that transition from childhood to adulthood. I feel like this was the age where I learned a little bit more about friendship dynamics that would help me later on and good, as you said, hosting and guesting skills later on. So it wasn't just about going over to my friend's house and knowing how to share or play nicely together, but it was about knowing how to not ditch a friend when a second invitation would come along. It was about making some of the really good choices and mom and dad were letting me, you know, do them on my own and learn what felt right, what didn't feel right and why, or they'd encourage me towards the, the more right decision. And I thought it was just a little more complex than your average, here's how you behave at someone else's home. It was kind of an interesting age. It is an interesting age. Talking about that, as we move on, trust me, it just gets a little bit harder for them. The last stage of development that we have identified is what we call stage six, and that is on the threshold. Those are your 15 to 18-year-olds, those teens. This is the phase at which kids begin to move away from any of the social norms that you've really been teaching them and create their own. Teens are a little bit like twos. You know, we talk about teens being tough years and we talk about terrible twos. That's because we're really doing a major separation from parents in slightly different ways. But as teens, we're doing it hugely. And I think that for some teens, it's 
it, it moves quite easily. They're able to offload your norms and onload their own, and it's quite simple. And those parents will tell you, teens, that wasn't bad. I had a great time. I loved being with my teens. And you'll have other parents who just struggle with their children getting through the teen years. And all I can say is, is that it's important for them developmentally, and what you can do for them as parents is create kind of some external structures that will help them maneuver this difficult time in their lives. A specific manner that I like to work with parents on has to do with entertaining, you know, a great social development skill that they need to learn. Have that party at your house. You're going to be there. Other parents may call you to find out whether or not there's going to be an adult present, and I think you should be able to tell them there will be. What I like to suggest is that you are not a guest at the party. You are there as a parent. So you're kind of around as kids arrive. They see that you're there, and then you move up to your room and you watch TV for 20 minutes, at which point you come down, pass kind of through the living room, and get a cup of tea for yourself. And you pass back back through the living room. You might wave to somebody or say hi, but you go on back to your room and pick up your TV show or read your book or whatever you're doing. And another 20 minutes, half hour later, oh, you need something to go with that tea. The point is, is that the kids see you as being present. You're an adult who's present. You are not participating in the party, but you are present to help out if there are any problems. This is one of those places where learning from my mother, I felt empowered to give advice, even though I hadn't personally gone through the stage of parenting myself. Because I'd heard my mom say so many times that teens' job at this stage of life is to challenge some of the things they've been brought up with, that their job is to question. And that's part of that taking that's ownership right. of each of these concepts and ideas that they've been taught throughout these other stages of development. And it's uh, given me a lot of confidence to be able to tell parents that, you know, it's okay this is your teen doing their job. It's not that they're just being difficult. This is part of this stage of development. And there is a, a good chance, there is a strong likelihood that once that questioning period has had a chance to play its way out, that the standards they're going to return to are going to be those standards that you've really embodied for them through the first five stages of development. And that's, a, I think, a really reassuring thought. For, I think so for many too. parents, and I think it's an important one. I know that it is. And with the many parents that I've talked to, they find that reassuring. And I think that that's really what it's all about. I'll also just mention that as a teen, hearing my mother talk about this, I found it so frustrating to find out that my mother was always one stage of social development ahead of me. <laughs> that, <laughs> that she always knew where I was at probably more than I did myself. And that I think it happened intuitively before you had defined and articulated these stages in the way that you did in the in the in the last 15 years but I, I definitely was aware that my my mother was thinking like this even as I was growing up maybe I learned some of that from you actually so <laughs> but I want to just tell you that there are two pieces of advice that I would give to any of you if you never heard another one of these social stages of development my first piece of advice is to know what to expect from your child and then expect it. So both developmentally and, as I said way at the beginning, who your child is individually. Don't over or under expect because you set your child up for failure if you do either of those things. And the second piece of advice I call the golden rule of parenting. It's very simple. Be the kind of person that you want your child to grow up to be. So if you want them to be a considerate, respectful, and honest adult, that's what you must be all of the time. It's a hard task. Take it on. Make yourself be that person, and your children will be those people. Boy, I'm, I'm sitting here thinking to myself, that is a, a real charge. <laughs> and as I embark on this journey of parenthood, I um, 
I appreciate the advice. They're watching you all the time, Dan, all the time. <clears throat> well, I want to thank my mother for being with us. It's truly a, a special thing to be talking about parenthood, particularly at this time in my life. So thank you so much for joining us. We really appreciate it. Well, you're very welcome. It has been my distinct pleasure. Of course, having understanding parents doesn't eliminate all the problems, but it goes a long way towards lessening the tensions that give to early adolescence its name, the age of turmoil. Well, we like to end our show on a high note, so we turn to you to hear about the good etiquette you're seeing and experiencing out in the world, and that can come in so many forms. Today's salute came in from Lynn during Inauguration Week, and I think it's a good reminder that good etiquette can be seen at all ages. Lynn writes, My etiquette salute goes out to Barbara and Jenna Bush for writing their letter to Sasha and Malia Obama, wishing them well as they move out of the White House and into the next phase of their lives, and for sharing that letter with us. And it was great to be reminded of that first letter Barbara and Jenna wrote to the young Obama girls who were just starting to live in the White House. Both letters were a heartwarming example of thoughtfulness, empathy, and respectful encouragement that they are giving to these young women. Thanks for the podcast, Lynn. What a lovely salute. That's our show for today. Thank you so much for listening. And thank you to everyone who sent us something. You can send us your next question, comment, or salute to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. You can leave us a message at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. On Twitter, I'm at Daniel underscore Post. And I'm at Lizzie A. Post. On Facebook, we're Awesome Etiquette and The Emily Post Institute. You can help us out. Please subscribe on iTunes and leave us a review. Our show is edited by Chris Albertine. 